Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We begin a new section in this book. And he's just gone over these, uh, the you know, broken the seven seals. And, and then he goes into the seven trumpets. And the six trumpets pour out God's wrath on those who worship the beast. And in the seventh trumpet... In comes the king, the great king, the eternal king to reign forever. But here in chapter 12, he takes a kind of a step back. And he begins to explain to us that why we continue to suffer as Christians, why especially these Christians in that day and time were suffering the way that they did. And he does it by way of these visions, these wild, crazy visions so let's go ahead and just jump into this first part of it in verses 1 through 6. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and agony and giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads ten diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, she might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule or shepherd the nations, all the nations, with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished 1,260 days. Y'all got that, right? It's, it's, remember, it's apocalyptic literature. They loved it. They, they understood it. They understood that there's lots of symbolisms and hyperlinks, and there's, there's all these illusions that are in there as well. And when we read it, we think, these people are crazy. But let's face it, if people saw some of the things that we understand, they would think we're crazy if we threw it back into a first century culture. Just look at our political cartoons. And by the way, I'm not going to be making any political statements uh, with these cartoons, but... But we see this and we just think this is crazy. But what if we said there's this giant donkey and a giant elephant and is sitting on the capital of this great, great nation and it has torn it asunder from top to bottom. They would think, who are these weird people? What does the donkey represent? Democrats. What does the elephant represent? Yeah, Republicans, we get that. And, and we look at that and we say, okay, what this, this artist is trying to say is that, that they're in the capital, that they are divided and it is ripping the nation, it is causing a lot of chaos and all kinds of things. Again, I'm not here to make political statements. But see if you can get this one. So there's a blue bird that has, has blonde or, or orange hair, ever how you want to call it. Again, I'm not making a political statement. Whose hair is this? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, former President Trump, right? Okay, what is the symbol of this blue bird? 
Yeah, I didn't know if the older folks would get that. That's Twitter. Yeah, that's the Twitter symbol. Uh, and so it's making a statement about President Trump on Twitter, but also about the media and all of this kind of stuff. But we get it. We, we don't even see a picture of President Trump. We, it doesn't even say Twitter, even though there was the tweet, tweet, tweet. But, but we, we get the, these symbols, right? How about this one? What is this thing over here on the right? Oh, that is the, that is the symbol of the coronavirus, right? And, 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 it's, and, it's, and this guy, he's in a prison outfit, and he's chained to this, this symbol, and, and his head is a, is a globe of the world. And, and people from other places, and you throw that in the first century, they're going to be like, what in the world are these people? But we get this. It's saying that, you know, we've been imprisoned by this virus and, and so forth. The whole world, okay? We get, but look, it's not just the current symbols. There are symbols that, from the past that we still use. How about the Trojan horse? You see these in political cartoons. You hear people say, you know, you got to be careful with this because it could be a Trojan horse. We understand. That's an old, old story saying listen it looks innocent but but really you know it's something that can destroy you okay and so we get these these things so for us to understand revelation in order to decode and understand where they're coming from there's two places that we have to look one of those are your hebrew bibles a lot of us call it the old testament and the other one is a first century context of the greco-roman world Okay, now that means we're going to struggle sometimes. In fact, with this very first part of the vision about the pregnant woman, not exactly sure who it is. Some say it's Mary because Mary was the mother of Jesus. Some believe this is talking about Israel because she's wearing a crown with, with 12 diadems. So she, you know, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's looking at the nation that brought the Messiah into the world. There are others, and I kind of lean this way. Um, I think it's probably more talking about Eve. Eve, who is, is the one who, uh, you know, with, with all this, uh, she's spoken of in, in cosmic terms. Uh, really, if we look back at the first man and woman, they were made in the image of God himself. And they were made to, to rule over creation. We also noticed in the vision that this woman... Again, she's not named, but we notice that, uh, you know, she's in labor pains. That may be taking us back to Genesis chapter 3 and Eve. But I think maybe for me, uh, one of the things that kind of tips it that way for me is the fact that she keeps being called the woman. She's called the woman in chapter 12 eight times. In the book of, um, book of Genesis, Genesis 2 and 3, 11 times she is called the woman. Only one time she's called Eve. Did you know that? And it's at the very end of chapter 3. Other than that, she's the woman, the woman, the woman. But maybe it's all three. I'll say this. She's important, but she's not nearly as important as identifying these next two. And the first one is the seven-headed red dragon. Aye, yikes. Who in the world is this? Thankfully, John tells us. <laughs> It is the great dragon. He is the ancient serpent. Now, I underline that for a purpose. He's the devil, Satan. He's the one who is the deceiver of the world, right? 
And so we at least know who this is. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, the very first time that we learn of this creature. He is called the serpent. He is bad news. He is a creature that is on a mission to disrupt God's good and orderly world, to to stop God's mission. And from this point on, you just see this as you go through scriptures, as you go through your Hebrew Bible, as you get into, um, you know, into these letters and so forth later on and with Christ coming. And we just see these descriptions of monsters, beasts described in these kinds of ways. But what Revelation 12 is, it is the story of chapter 3 verse 15 of Genesis it's the great prophecy where we know that that this serpent is going to bruise the head or bruise the heel of her offspring but this one's going to crush its head right and it says there's always going to be this enmity between the woman and the serpent But here's the thing, the seven-headed dragon is fierce, but the one who sits on the throne of heaven that we read about in Revelation chapter 4 is greater. And one of the reasons is, this is the one who created all these beings. And there in Genesis 1.21, he created the great sea creatures, the tannin, which can mean dragon, serpent, or sea monster. And here's the point that I think Scripture goes on to show us, is that God brought these creatures into the world, and guess what? He can take them out. And we see in different places throughout the Bible where God is the one who takes down sea monsters and beasts and dragons. But let's talk about this child. The dragon is standing over the woman. She's in labor pains. He stands over the woman, and he's waiting for her to have this baby. And we got some new mamas in here. (laughs) Just imagine this, 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 you know, and and standing over and waiting so that when that child comes out, he can just take it and devour it. Folks, this is an allusion back to Herod. Remember Herod? Herod? He's the one who goes to try to destroy the newborn king. He is the one who asks for the the deaths of all Hebrew children who are two years and under. Folks, this is the story of the birth of Jesus. This isn't exactly the way we see it on Christmas cards, is it? I'm sure some of y'all are going next year, you're going to have Christmas cards with a red dragon and a woman, you know. No, no. But see, we, we have the kind of the tame, more of the tame version, if you will, in Matthew and Luke. But here in Revelation, for the first time, Jesus opens up the curtains and he's telling John and he tells us what this birth of Jesus looked like from heaven's perspective. And what we see here is that Herod's attempt to kill Jesus, it is a satanic attack to stop Jesus from fulfilling his mission. I want you to get that. Put it in the back of your head. Satan is being used as a pawn. I mean, here it is used as a pawn of Satan. 
Jesus is being presented as a child whose destiny is to rule all the nations. And it says with a rod of iron. Well, guess what? That's prophecy. Comes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, 7 through 9, of the, the seed of David, talking about Jesus Christ. Just as the dragon tried to devour the child, God snatches up the child and enthrones him. And he conquers. He conquers all of our enemies, sin and death and hell and Satan himself. Meanwhile, it says, the woman is is fled to the wilderness, a place where God has prepared for her for 1,260 days, or we could say 42 months, or we could say three and a half years. What I really think we ought to look at is it's half of seven. Because when we look in Scripture over and over again, from this very beginning, we see God does His work and fulfills His work in cycles of seven. We see the creation. God takes it from its darkness and its chaos and brings it to order and to finally where God rested. And God says, we're going to set up the weeks like that. And we're going to set it up. And, and so you, you had a hard week. You had a difficult time. And how many times have you said, man, I can't wait till, the, till Saturday or Sabbath because it's a day of rest for many. The seventh year, every seven years, on that seventh year, debts were canceled. Slaves were released. The land rested. They didn't, they didn't even... Farmers didn't even have to farm that year. The year of Jubilee, that's seven times seven, okay? And on that big Jubilee that would happen seven times seven years, all of a sudden the land and the people rest, the slaves are released. You look at the book of of Judges, and we just see this cycle that just continues with God's people, and guess what? It is a cycle of seven. And the last and final cycle is deliverance. And here God's, God has been working since the very fall of humanity, and he has, been, he has been bringing us to a point to the very end of this book of new creation. And it's a time of vindication and rest. And when he tells the woman who's in the wilderness for three and a half years, what he's saying is, seven is yet to come. You're waiting in the wilderness. And what do we know about the wilderness? Folks, put on your, your, your Hebrew Bible caps. It's a place of testing. But it's also a place of God's provisions and God's intimacy. But he says we're waiting for that final new creation to break out. Oh, he's not finished. Let's keep going. You think that was exciting. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and the angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels are thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God, and they have conquered him by the blood of 
the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He is showing us that when Jesus is born, all of a sudden, God launched his assault on, on evil and the power of evil. I, I love history. I love World War II history. I think World War II history is a great metaphor for spiritual battle in so many different ways. And, and some of you, you remember Operation Overlord, right? D-Day is what many of you know it as. This is when the Allied forces... They landed on the beaches of Normandy in the largest amphibious assault on the history of the world in order to liberate Europe from Hitler's beastly regime. And as important as this day was, and if you understand history, you know how important this day was, then you know that when Jesus came to this earth, that was so much more important. And all of a sudden, the vision says there is this great battle going on. Michael, the leading archangel in his army of good angels, takes on the dragon and his demonic forces in this all-out war in the heavenly realms. The forces of evil lost. They are thrown down out of heaven and to the earth. I love N.T. Wright, something he said about this. He says, The violent death of the Lamb has won the decisive victory over the monsters and their horrid kingdoms and over the old dragon, the Satan himself. The scroll is about God destroying evil. But first, he wants to save as much of humanity as he can so that they're not going to be swept in this judgment that is to come. And that's why there's so much joy in heaven over the Lamb, because salvation has now come through His blood. Satan can no longer accuse us before God. We no longer live for the, the kingdoms of darkness that are around us. We live for a new kingdom the kingdom of heaven. But then it keeps going. Wouldn't you love it to stop there? But no. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings and the great eagle uh, of the great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she was to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water out like a river out of its mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to her help, to the help of the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured forth from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The dragon is angry. 
He has been cast out of heaven to the earth. He goes and relentlessly pursues the woman, but once again, the woman, she's able to escape into the wilderness. God provides these wings, and he, he provides for her. But now, furious, he goes after the offspring of the woman. And you say, who is the offspring? He just told us. Those who keep the commandments of God and those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, all three of these visions tell us the same thing. Satan has been defeated. He fails to devour Christ at his birth. He fails to defeat Michael and the angels. He fails to destroy the woman. All he's left with is to harass God's people. And that's why I want to give you three things that I believe are very important of what we get from these visions. The very first thing is this. We are part of a cosmic battle. Folks, you better get this. We often forget about this. It's all over Scripture. Satan and, and God have been at battle since the very beginning. But Satan is not God's equal. He is a created being, a fallen angel. We can't exactly comprehend why God puts up with him. But he does for a time. And we do not have to be afraid. We are not to underestimate this, this red dragon who continues to be spoken of in, in beastly type ways, such as like a lion seeking to devour us. Satan is behind all the evil, the pain, the violence, the death, depression, broken homes, political corruption, tyrannical leaders, wars, and evil empires of our world. And the dragon is out to hurt Christ and his cause. Whether you realize it or not, before you ever became a child of God, he was doing everything he could to influence you to be blinded to the truth about Christ. And there may even be some in here, he's still blinding you. Because he's never given your life completely to him. And I'd like to tell you that, look, once you do it, he'll leave you alone. But he doesn't. He continues to try to make us ineffective for the cause of Christ. That's why he's trying to tell these churches, the seven churches of Asia. He tells them, listen, the devil is among you. Things you're dealing with. Things that you've allowed in. These are satanic. Satan works on all of us, not just those in the first century. Here's the warning that Paul gives. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand the, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let me say that again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In fact, let's say, say that with me. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battles are cosmic. Evil world leaders. We look out and you can see them. You can look in the past. You can look right here in the present. And I'm here to tell you they are pawns of Satan. They are. Whether they realize it or not. We're not so much fighting against politicians, 
corrupt politicians up on Capitol Hill or the evil people who do evil things to us because they are flesh and blood. And whether they realize it or not, they are influenced by the evil forces of the fallen angels that are headed by Satan. We already mentioned Herod. He shows us in the vision. He, he tells us that, that Satan was behind this. I don't know exactly how, but I just know he is. I know that Satan enters Judas, who then goes and he summons those who are going to put him to death. There are things that have occurred in, our, in history, things that we see in our day and time, and we wonder how in the world could people from a civilized nation do such things to one another? It's like in our country, how could, how could we allow slavery? How could, we, how could we be to a point that we think that's okay? Listen, all you have to do is dehumanize people. Call them soulless animals. That's what they were called. In the 18th century, political leaders, several of them, publicly stated that, that, they, uh, that Africans were naturally inferior and they were best suited for slavery. And people begin to see that, or, or at least believe that. How does the Holocaust happen? I mean, I think people, you know, when they start seeing those pictures back in the day, and even now, we're just appalled. How do you do that? All you got to do is get your propaganda ministry together and say they are subhumans, subhuman creatures. Call them rats, which is exactly what they did. And believe me when I say, Germany, this was this anti-Semiticism, it, it goes way back. It goes Martin Luther, it goes even further back than that. Some of you probably saw a couple of videos this week. It's like, how can there be five justice, uh, five people who are, who are policemen, people who are supposed to be about peace, brutally beat and murder a man on a traffic stop? Some of you saw maybe the video that was down in, I think it was Homestead, down in the Miami area. It's on a school bus. Anybody see this? A 14-year-old boy. He starts waylaying, I mean waylaying on a nine-year-old girl. How does that happen? How does it happen that a woman can, can carry a child in her womb and not feel guilt over aborting it? Look, I know there's some terrible situations out there as to why women get pregnant. And, and these are usually the arguments that we hear over and over again. According to the Guttmacher Institute, only 1% of women who get abortions is because of rape and less than 0.5% over incest. And let me say, my heart goes out to them. I can't even imagine the emotions that they feel over the evil, the beastly kind of thing that has been done to them. But that just means most women get abortions for convenience. How do we get women to, to do that? Stop calling them babies. Dehumanize them. They're fetuses. They're cells. 
Satan is behind the gender identity issues that are going on in our country right now. I really believe that. Just like he's, he's involved in what's going on with, with abortion and other types, such like things. And, and, and I know there are people who struggle with it. I'm not sitting here denying that fact. In fact, I, I, my heart goes out to him. I, I want to even help. I don't even know how sometimes. But I hate it even more that it's driven by political powers. You know, not long ago, during a Supreme Court confirmation, a nominee was asked to define the word woman. And she said, I can't. I'm not a biologist. And it's like someone so smart, someone who is so, you know, honored and highly esteemed and is a woman herself and she cannot define the word woman and we know why she gives the answer she does because she feels the pressure of the culture and we can call it worldly pressure or we can call it satanic somehow satan is using this It doesn't mean that when people give in to these things, it's okay. No, no, it doesn't mean they're innocent like Judas and, and, and like Herod. And, and like, but they have opened themselves up to this. And the fact is, every church is tempted to align with the world. The big lie. We're only called to love people. Not to correct or to judge them based on their their beliefs or philosophies or behavior and let me say this yes we are to love them we're to love them with everything that we've got even when we disagree with them we are to love them absolutely but not at the expense of rejecting the values and the one who sits on the heavenly throne we can't hide our faith from the lamb so that other people will feel more comfortable we cannot grieve the Holy Spirit that we are warned, which has to do about failing to live holy and righteous lives. Because Satan's big deception is, listen, everything's good as long as you go to church every week. That's good. But, but then we go right out and we use abusive and, and foul language and have a bad temper and we slander other people and we're unforgiving. Listen, I've seen Satan's work over the last couple of years, two or three years now, and you know what I'm talking about. Because of everything that's been going on, there's just been this mass craziness. He wants people to deny their faith. He wants them to leave their church families. He wants them to give in to the world. He wants the church to divide over politics, over petty issues. Folks, we're in a cosmic battle. Being tempted is not sin in and of itself. Jesus was tempted. It's what we do with it, isn't it? That's why Paul used that strong language. He says, be strong in the Lord. Resist. Put on the armor of God. But understand this. Satan is a defeated enemy. We need to know that. Why is the red dragon on the earth? Why is he causing so much chaos? Because he lost. He lost. Respect the damage that he can do, but do not fear him. 
January 24th, 1972, get this, 1972. There was a, a, a Japanese soldier who was discovered in Guam. He is the last of three holdouts since World War II. For 28 years, this man lived in a cave under the ground, believing that the war was still going on. Even though there were some leaflets that were dropped and he read them that said it was over, he didn't believe it was over. But understand this about Satan. Satan knows he's defeated. He knows it's over. But he is not going to go down until he's forced to. And we'll get to that later on in this series. Here's a third thing for you to know. God's people will overcome. We will. We're going to overcome. We will prevail through how? He says, through the blood of the Lamb. On the, the cross, Jesus was crushed. He was broken. But at His resurrection, He showed that it was really victory. Only the work of Jesus can save us. But he also says here, I don't know if you noticed this. Yes, we are saved. We conquer. Here's our conquering, the blood of the Lamb. But he says also we conquer by the word of our testimony. Satan cannot defeat us if we stubbornly confess our faith in Christ. And he says they were so willing... So stubborn in their confession of Jesus, they, they would be willing even to go to death. Fifteen years after Revelation was written, the governor of Bithynia writes to the emperor Trajan, and he talks about these Christians that he's struggling with, and he says he is interrogating them. He is threatening them two and three times. And those who would not relent, he's executed. They could save themselves. He said all they had to do was just deny their faith in Jesus and to prove it by worshiping the Roman gods. Many were martyred. And they probably looked at that and said, we defeated them. <laughs> but we know that death is not defeat. Death is victorious for the Christian. Most of us will never have to make a choice between life and death because of our faith. But we may have to make choices such as, you know, I might lose my job because I hold to these values. It may be you lose a friendship. It may be that you'll be ridiculed. You may look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to have to narrow my choices down the kind of person that I should marry. From heaven's perspective, Jesus has already won. And he says, we are conquerors. And there's nothing that can, that can destroy us, separate us from the love of God. Not death or life. Not these angels or rulers. Not things present or things to come. Not powers. No height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing. Trust Christ to finish what he started. I don't care how bad it gets out there. Trust him. The purpose of this book is to summon every generation of readers to follow the Lamb and to resist, to resist the beast that is within us that we're capable of and to resist the beast from without. 
to suffer along with the Lamb if need be, and to bear witness to what he's done. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in great humility. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die for, on, for us, to rise from the grave, to conquer all of our enemies. And Father, I know that we, we're nowhere near the kind of persecution and the kind of things that the early believers had to go through. But Father, please help our faith. Help our faith as our nation seems to change in various ways and beliefs. Help us, Father, to stay strong to your Son, Jesus. We pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to guide us and, and encourage us in ways that we so need it. But, Father, we just long for the day. We long for the day, whether it comes by death or whether it comes when your Son is finally sent into our world. We long for that day. Father, we, we look for the seventh, the new creation, for vindication, for rest. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.